This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Vindication of the Rights of Women by Mary Wollstonecraft. Chapter 9 Of the Pernicious Effects Which Arise from the Unnatural Distinctions Established in Society. From the respect paid to property flow, as from a poisoned fountain, most of the evils and vices which render this world such a dreary scene to the contemplative mind. For it is in the most polished society that noisome reptiles and venomous serpents lurk under the rank herbage, and there is voluptuousness pampered by the still sultry air, which relaxes every good disposition before it ripens into virtue. One class presses on another, for all are aiming to procure respect on account of their property and property, once gained, will procure the respect due only to talents and virtue. Men neglect the duties incumbent on man, yet are treated like demigods. Religion is also separated from morality by a ceremonial veil, yet men wonder that the world is almost, literally speaking, a den of sharpers or oppressors. There is a homely proverb, which speaks a shrewd truth, that whoever the devil finds idle he will employ. And what but the habitual idleness can hereditary wealth and titles produce? For man is so constituted that he can only attain a proper use of his faculties by exercising them, and will not exercise them unless necessity, of some kind, first set the wheels in motion. Virtue, likewise, can only be acquired by the discharge of relative duties, but the importance of these sacred duties will scarcely be felt by the being who is cajoled out of his humanity by the flattery of sycophants. There must be more equality established in society, or morality will never gain ground, and this virtuous equality will not rest firmly even when founded on a rock, if one half of mankind are chained to its bottom by fate, for they will be continually undermining it through ignorance or pride. It is vain to expect virtue from women till they are, in some degree, independent of men. Nay, it is vain to expect that strength of natural affection which would make them good wives and good mothers. Whilst they are absolutely dependent on their husbands, they will be cunning, mean, and selfish, and the men who can be gratified by the fawning fondness of spaniel-like affection have not much delicacy, for love is not to be bought in any sense of the word. Its silken wings are instantly shriveled up when anything beside a return in kind is sought. Yet whilst wealth enervates men, and women live, as it were, by their personal charms, how can we expect them to discharge those ennobling duties which equally require exertion and self-denial? Hereditary property sophisticates the mind, and the unfortunate victims to it, if I may so express myself, swathed from their birth, seldom exert the locomotive faculty of body or mind, and, thus viewing everything through one medium and that a false one, they are unable to discern in what true merit and happiness consist. False indeed must be the light when the drapery of situation hides man, and makes him stalk in masquerade, dragging from one scene of dissipation to another the nerveless limbs that hang with stupid listlessness, and rolling round the vacant eye which plainly tells us that there is no mind at home. I mean, therefore, to infer, that the society is not properly organized, which does not compel men and women to discharge their respective duties, by making it the only way to acquire that countenance from their fellow-creatures which every human being wishes some way to attain. The respect, consequently, which is paid to wealth and mere personal charms, is a true northeast blast that blights the tender blossoms of affection and virtue. 
Nature has wisely attached affections to duties, to sweeten toil, and to give that vigor to the exertions of reason which only the heart can give. But the affection which is put on merely because it is the appropriated insignia of a certain character, when its duties are not fulfilled, is one of the empty compliments which vice and folly are obliged to pay to virtue and the real nature of things. To illustrate my opinion, I need only observe that when a woman is admired for her beauty, and suffers herself to be so far intoxicated by the admiration she receives as to neglect to discharge the indispensable duty of a mother, she sins against herself, by neglecting to cultivate an affection that would equally tend to make her useful and happy. True happiness, I mean all the contentment and virtuous satisfaction that can be snatched in this imperfect state, must arise from well-regulated affections, and an affection includes a duty. Men are not aware of the misery they cause, and the vicious weakness they cherish, by only inciting women to render themselves pleasing, they do not consider that they thus make natural and artificial duties clash, by sacrificing the comfort and respectability of a woman's life to voluptuous notions of beauty, when in nature they all harmonize. Cold would be the heart of a husband, were he not rendered unnatural by early debauchery, who did not feel more delight at seeing his child suckled by its mother than the most artful wanton tricks could ever raise. Yet this natural way of cementing the matrimonial tie, and twisting esteem with fonder recollections, wealth leads women to spurn. To preserve their beauty, and wear the flowery crown of the day that gives them a kind of right to reign for a short time over the sex, they neglect to stamp impressions on their husbands' hearts that would be remembered with more tenderness when the snow on the head began to chill the bosom than even their virgin charms. The maternal solicitude of a reasonable, affectionate woman is very interesting, and the chastened dignity with, with which a mother returns the caresses that she and her child receive from a father who has been fulfilling the serious duties of his station is not only a respectable but a beautiful sight. So singular, indeed, are my feelings, and I have endeavored not to catch factitious ones, that after be having been fatigued with the sight of insipid grandeur and the slavish ceremonies that with cumbrous pomp supplied the place of domestic affections, I have turned to some other scene to relieve my eye, by resting it on the refreshing green everywhere scattered by nature. I have then viewed, with pleasure, a woman nursing her children, and discharging the duties of her station with perhaps, merely a servant made to take off her hands the servile part of the household business. I have seen her prepare herself and her children, with only the luxury of cleanliness, to receive her husband, who, returning ho weary home in the evening, found smiling babes and a clean hearth. My heart has loitered in the midst of the group, and has even throbbed with sympathetic emotion, when the scraping of the well-known foot has raised a pleasing tumult. Whilst my benevolence has been gratified by contemplating this artless picture, I have thought that a couple of this description, equally necessary and independent of each other, because each fulfilled the respective duties of their station, possessed all that life could give, raised sufficiently above abject poverty not to be obliged to weigh the consequence of every farthing they spend, and having sufficient to prevent their attending to a frigid system of economy which narrows both heart and mind. I declare, so vulgar are my conceptions that I know not what is wanted to render this the happiest as well as the most respectable situation in the world, but for a taste of literature, to throw a little variety and interest in so into social converse, and some superfluous money to give to the needy and to buy books. 
for it is not pleasant when the heart is opened by compassion and the head active in arranging plans of usefulness to have a prim urchin continually twitching back the elbow to prevent the hand from drawing out an almost empty purse whispering at the same time some prudential maxim about the priority of justice destructive however as riches and inherited honours are to the human character women are more debased and cramped if possible by them than men because men may still in some degree unfold their faculties by becoming soldiers and statesmen as soldiers i grant they can now only gather for the most part vainglorious laurels whilst they adjust to a hair the european balance taking a special care that no bleak northern nook or sound incline the beam but the days of true heroism are over when a citizen fought for his country like a fabricius or a washington and then returned to his farm to let virtuous fervour run in a more placid but not a less salutary stream no our british heroes are oftener sent from the gaming-table than from the plough and their passions have been rather inflamed by hanging with dumb suspense on the turn of a die than sublimated by panting after the adventurous march of virtue in the historic page the statesman it is true might with more propriety quit the faro bank or card table to guide the helm for he has still but to shuffle and trick the whole system of british politics if system it may courteously be called consisting in multiplying dependents and contriving taxes which grind the poor to pamper the rich thus a war or any wild goose chase is as the vulgar use the phrase a lucky turn-up of patronage for the minister whose chief merit is the art of keeping himself in place it is not necessary then that he should have bowels for the poor so he can secure for his family the odd trick or should show some of respect for what is termed with ignorant ostentation an englishman's birthright be expedient to bubble the gruff mastiff that he has had to lead by the nose he can make an empty show very safely by giving his single voice and suffering his light squadron to file off to the other side and when a question of humanity is agitated he may dip a sop in the milk of human kindness to silence cerberus and talk of the interest which his heart takes in an attempt to make the earth no longer cry for vengeance as it sucks in its children's blood though his cold hand may at the very moment rivet their chains by sanctioning the abominable traffic a minister is no longer a minister than while he can carry a point which he is determined to carry yet it is not necessary that a minister should feel like a man when a bold push might shake his seat but to have done with these episodical observations let me return to the more specious slavery which chains the very soul of woman keeping her forever under the bondage of ignorance the preposterous distinctions of rank which render a civilization a curse by dividing the world between voluptuous tyrants and cunning envious dependents corrupt almost equally every class of people because respectability is not attached to the discharge of the relative duties of life but to the station and when the duties are not fulfilled the affections cannot gain sufficient strength to fortify the virtue of which they are the natural reward still there are some loopholes out of which a man may creep and dare to think and act for himself but for a woman it is a herculean task because she has difficulties peculiar to her sex to overcome which require almost superhuman powers a truly benevolent legislator always endeavours to make it the interest of each individual to be virtuous and thus private virtue becoming the cement of public happiness an orderly whole is consolidated by the tendency of all the parts toward a common centre 
but the private or public virtue of woman is very problematical, for Rousseau, and a numerous list of male writers, insist that she should all her life be subjected to a severe restraint, that of propriety. Why subject her to propriety, blind propriety, if she be capable of acting from a nobler spring, if she be an heir of immortality? Is sugar always to be produced by vital blood? Is one half of the human species, like the poor African slaves, to be subject to prejudices that brutalize them, when principles would be a surer guard only to sweeten the cup of man? Is this not indirectly to deny women reason? For a gift is a mockery if it be unfit for use. Women are in common with men rendered weak and luxurious by the relaxing pleasures which wealth procures, but added to this, they are made slaves to their persons, and must render them alluring, that man may lend them his reason to guide their tottering steps aright. Or, should they be ambitious, they must govern their tyrants by sinister tricks, for without rights there cannot be any incumbent duties. The laws respecting woman, which I mean to discuss in a future part, make an absurd unit of a man and his wife, and then, by the easy transition of only considering him as responsible, she is reduced to a mere cipher. The being who discharges the duties of its station is independent, and speaking of women at large, their first duty is to themselves as rational creatures, and the next, in point of importance, as citizens, is that, which includes so many, of a mother. The rank in life which dispenses with their fulfilling this duty necessarily degrades them by making them mere dolls. Or, should they turn to something more important than merely fitting drapery upon a smooth block, their minds are only occupied by some soft platonic attachment, or the actual manage of an intrigue may keep their thoughts in motion, for when they neglect domestic duties, they have it not in their power to take the field and march and countermarch like soldiers, or wrangle in the senate to keep their faculties from rusting. I know that as proof of the inferiority of the sex, Rousseau has exultingly claimed, how can they leave the nursery for the camp? And the camp has, by some moralists, been termed the school of the most heroic virtues, though, I think, it was puzzle a keen casuist to prove the reasonableness of the greater number of wars that have dubbed heroes. I do not mean to consider this question critically, because, having frequently viewed these freaks of ambition as the first natural mode of civilization, when the ground must be torn up and the woods cleared by fire and sword, I do not choose to call them pests, but surely the present system of war has little connection with the virtue of any denomination, being rather the school of finesse and effeminacy than of fortitude. Yet, if defensive war, the only justifiable war in the present advanced state of society, where virtue can show its face and ripen amidst the rigors which purify the air on the mountain's top, were alone to be adopted as just and glorious, the true heroism of antiquity might again animate female bosoms. But fair and softly, gentle reader, male or female, do not alarm thyself, for though I have contrasted the character of a modern soldier with that of a civilized woman, I am not going to advise them to turn their distaff into a musket, though I sincerely wish to see the bayonet converted into a pruning hook. I only recreated an imagination, fatigued by contemplating the vices and follies which all proceed from a feculent stream of wealth that has muddied the pure rills of natural affection, by supposing that society will some time or other be so constituted that man must necessarily fulfill the duties of a citizen or be despised. 
and that while he was employed in any of the departments of civil life, his wife, also an active citizen, should be equally intent to manage her family, educate her children, and assist her neighbors. But, to render her really virtuous and useful, she must not, if she discharged her civil duties, want, individually, the protection of civil laws. She must not be dependent on her husband's bounty for her subsistence during his life, or support after his death. For how can a being be generous who has nothing of its own, or virtuous who is not free? The wife, in the present state of things, who is faithful to her husband, and neither suckles nor educates her children, scarcely deserves the name of a wife, and has no right to that of a citizen. But take away natural rights, and there is, of course, an end of duties. Women, thus infallibly, become only the wanton solace of men, when they are so weak in mind and body that they cannot exert themselves, unless to pursue some frothy pleasure or to invent some frivolous fashion. What can be a more melancholy sight to a thinking mind than to look into the numerous carriages that drive helter-skelter about this metropolis in a morning, full of pale-faced creatures who are flying from themselves? I have often wished, with Dr. Johnson, to place some of them in a little shop, with half a dozen children looking up to their languid countenances for support. I am much mistaken if some latent vigor would not soon give health and spirit to their eyes, and some lines drawn by the exercise of reason on the blank cheeks, which before were only undulated by dimples, might restore lost dignity to their character, or rather enable it to attain the true dignity of its nature. Virtue is not to be acquired even by speculation, much less by the negative supineness that wealth naturally generates. Besides, when poverty is more disgraceful than even vice, is not morality cut to the quick? Still, to avoid misconstruction, though I consider that women in the common walks of life are called to fulfill the duties of wives and mothers, by religion and reason I cannot help lamenting that women of a superior caste have not a road open by which they can pursue the more extensive plans of usefulness and independence. I may excite laughter by dropping a hint, which I mean to pursue some future time, for I really think that women ought to have representatives, instead of being arbitrarily governed without having any direct share allowed them in the deliberations of government. But as the whole system of representation is now, in this country, only a convenient handle for despotism, they need not complain, for they are as well represented as a numerous class of hard-working mechanics, who pay for the support of royalty when they can scarcely stop their children's mouths with bread. How are they represented, whose very sweat supports the splendid stud of an heir apparent, or who varnishes the chariot of some female favorite who looks down in shame? Taxes on the very necessaries of life enable an endless tribe of idle princes and princesses to pass with stupid pomp before a gaping crowd, who almost worship the very parade which costs them so dear. This is mere Gothic grandeur something like the barbarous useless parade of having sentinels on horseback at Whitehall, which I could never view without a mixture of contempt and indignation. How strangely must the mind be sophisticated when this sort of state impresses it! But till these monuments of folly are leveled by virtue, similar follies will leaven the whole mass, for the same character, in some degree, will prevail in the aggregate of society, and the refinements of luxury, or the vicious repinings of envious poverty, will equally banish virtue from society, 
considered as the characteristic of that society, or only allow it to appear as one of the stripes of the harlequin coat worn by the civilized man. In the superior ranks of life, every duty is done by deputies, as if duties could ever be waived, and the vain pleasures which consequent idleness forces the rich to pursue appear so enticing to the next rank that the numerous scramblers for wealth sacrifice everything to tread on their heels. The most sacred trusts are then considered as sinecures, because they were procured by interest, and only sought to enable a man to keep good company. Women, in particular, all want to be ladies, which is simply to have nothing to do, but listlessly to go they scarcely care where, for they cannot tell what. But what have women to do in society? I may be asked, but to loiter with easy grace, surely you would not contemn them all to suckle fools and chronicle small beer. No, women might certainly study the art of healing, and be physicians as well as nurses. And midwifery decency seems to allot to them, though I am afraid the word midwife in our dictionaries will soon give place to the accoucheur, and one proof of the former delicacy of the sex be effaced from the language. They might also study politics, and settle their benevolence on the broadest basis, for the reading of history will scarcely be more useful than the perusal of romances, if read as mere biography, if the character of the times, the political improvements, arts, etc., be not observed. In short, if it be not considered as the history of man, and not of particular men, who filled a niche in the temple of fame, and dropped into the black rolling stream of time that silently sweeps all before it, into the shapeless void called eternity. For shape can it be called, that shape hath none. Business of various kinds they might likewise pursue, if they were educated in a more orderly manner, which might save many from common and legal prostitution. Women would not then marry for a support, as men accept of places under government, and neglect the implied duties, nor would it an attempt to earn their own subsistence, a most laudable one, sink them almost to the level of those poor abandoned creatures who live by prostitution. For are not milliners and mantua-makers reckoned the next class? The few employments open to women, so far from being liberal, are menial, and when a superior education enables them to take charge of the education of children as governesses, they are not treated like the tutors of sons, though even clerical tutors are not always treated in a manner calculated to render them respectable in the eyes of their pupils, to say nothing of the private comfort of the individual. But as women educated like gentlewomen are never designed for the humiliating situation which necessity sometimes forces them to fill, these situations are considered in the light of a degradation, and they know little of the human heart who need to be told that nothing so painfully sharpens the sensibility as such a fall in life. Some of these women might be restrained from marrying by a proper spirit or delicacy, and others may not have had it in their power to escape in this pitiful way from servitude. Is not that government, then, very defective, and very unmindful of the happiness of one half of its members, that does not provide for honest, independent women by encouraging them to fill respectable stations? But in order to render their private virtue a public benefit, they must have a civil existence in the state, married or single, else we shall continually see some worthy women whose sensibility has been rendered painfully acute by undeserved contempt, droop like the lily broken down by a ploughshare. It is a melancholy truth, yet such is the blessed effects of civilization. The most respectable women are the most oppressed, 
and, unless they have understandings far superior to the common run of understandings, taking in both sexes, they must, from being treated like contemptible beings, become contemptible. How many women thus waste life away, the prey of discontent, who might have practiced as physicians, regulated a farm, managed a shop, and stood erect, supported by their own industry, instead of hanging their heads surcharged with the dew of sensibility that consumes the beauty to which it at first gave lustre. Nay, I doubt whether pity and love are so near akin as poets feign, for I have seldom seen much compassion excited by the helplessness of females, unless they were fair. Then, perhaps, pity was the soft handmaid of love, or the harbinger of lust. How much more respectable is the woman who earns her own bread by fulfilling any duty, than the most accomplished beauty. Beauty, did I say, so sensible am I of the beauty of moral loveliness, or the harmonious propriety that attunes the passions of a well-regulated mind, that I blush at making the comparison. Yet I sigh to think how few women aim at attaining this respectability, by withdrawing from the giddy whirl of pleasure, or the indolent calm that stupefies the good sort of women it sucks in. Proud of their weakness, however, they must always be protected, guarded from care, and from all the rough toils that dignify the mind. If this be the fiat of fate, if they will make themselves insignificant and contemptible, sweetly to waste a life away, let them not expect to be valued when their beauty fades, for it is the fate of the fairest flowers to be admired and pulled to pieces by the careless hand that plucked them. In how many ways do I wish, from the purest benevolence, to impress this truth on my sex, Yet I fear that they will not listen to a truth that dear-bought experience has brought home to many an agitated bosom, nor willingly resign the privileges of rank and sex for the privileges of humanity, to which those have no claim who do not discharge its duties. Those writers are particularly useful, in my opinion, who make man feel for man, independent of the station he fills, or the drapery of factitious sentiments. I then would fain convince reasonable men of the importance of some of my remarks, and prevail on them to weigh dispassionately the whole tenor of my observations. I appeal to their understandings, and, as a fellow-creature, claim, in the name of my sex, some interest in their hearts. I entreat them to assist to emancipate their companion, to make her a helpmeet for them. Would men but generously snap our chains, and be content with rational fellowship, instead of slavish obedience, they would find us more observant daughters, more affectionate sisters, more faithful wives, more reasonable mothers, in a word, better citizens. We should then love them with true affection, because we should learn to respect ourselves, and the peace of mind of a worthy man would not be interrupted by the idle vanity of his wife, nor his babe sent to nestle in a strange bosom, having never found a home in their mothers. End of chapter 9 Recorded by Jen in Madison, Wisconsin, July 8, 2006.